Good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, good. Um, it's Philip here, I'm with Peter, and we're here to uh, recap the U.S. Open, um, which was marked by one just explosion of uh, what I think is unacceptable behavior, though that's a debate. Um, in a certain finals matchup. Um, and so, Peter, uh, one question I have for you before we talk about the tennis is, uh, have you ever just behaved unacceptably and known you were behaving unacceptably and uh, in, in a sporting event? Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's all... It's- the question isn't if it's just like how many, how many times and how often. Um, it tended to it tended to manifest most in practice, um, especially when I was actually playing you in squash. I I was just that was probably me at my worst. Like can't even choose a time just because there were so many. I think there was one time in Switzerland where I was just throwing my racket after every point. Yeah, but, um, I remember, I don't remember if it was, I don't remember where. I actually think it was at the GW courts. I just walked off the court one time when I was, like, winning because uh, I just couldn't put up with it. It's like, what's the point of winning a practice match if you <laughs> have to see that? Yeah. And then, um, but there was one match that was my at least in college, there are two matches that stick out to me um, as my all-time worst behavior um, that were actually, like, in competitive situations. Because I was usually pretty good at, like, like focusing and not being a jerk when it was game time for real, not practice. But um, the college match was, it was at Ivy scrimmages. I was playing against a guy at Harvard, and I was up too low, and ended up losing the match, and I think I, like, strained my calf in the fourth game, and it was the one match in either juniors or college where I was supposed to win, and I lost, um, and I just couldn't handle it. I was just freaking out. I was screaming. I was yelling. I was unacceptable, and um, I was just throwing a tantrum like a little child. And then there was another match at, at um, Nationals when I was, I think, 15 years old, where, again, I rolled my ankle, and I was just screaming at myself between every single point. Like, no, Peter, don't be a pussy. Don't be a pussy, Peter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just full disclosure, we both went to all-boys school, so that was, like, common uh, language for our 15-year-old selves. Though uh, we don't generally use that term anymore. Yeah, um, but I don't know. It's like one of the things about Serena's tantrum is like, A, I don't think it's acceptable either. I think she was being rude. And I think because of her pedestal, she gets, there are a lot of apologists for her. Um, But at the same time, like for anyone who's, it's also like pretty human. It's for anyone who's ever competed. Um, most of the time, you've had your, like, freak out. And for her, it's just unfortunate that it's, like, on the biggest stage that it came out. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, uh, it was uh, prefaced. So the previous match, um, I had been... It was it was the semifinals of nationals. Uh, I was on the Princeton squash team. We were playing Yale, and I had been uh, called for uh, a blood violation. You can't bleed on court. Uh, like n- not a drop of blood can touch the court, basically. Um, and I like scraped my knee and bled on court. And uh, the ref gave me like a conduct game or like deducted me like a game which it's a game in squash is the equivalent of a set in tennis and in best of five if you're just uh deducted a set you're basically screwed if it's a tough match and uh i was pissed because that has never been called before it's one of those rules that like exists but uh is like always overlooked because I think it was introduced in like the early nineties when HIV was like a big thing. And so they were just afraid of like blood anywhere, but it doesn't, it's not really a hindrance. It was just like a scrape on the knee. And so I lost the match and was extremely upset and like berated the ref. And I actually don't feel bad about that because he deserved it. But my coach sat me down afterwards in the hotel room and was like, "Philip, I think you're gonna have. To, I'm gonna have to sit you for the next uh, for this, for the next match." And I'm just like, "Are you serious? Like, why didn't you have my back here?" Like, uh, and then I went through every instance where the coach didn't have my back. Like, I sort of blamed him for um, a shoulder injury that required surgery uh, the previous year because. Um, I told him I couldn't lift, but he, like, basically forced me to lift anyway, which is, yeah, totally, I think, unacceptable behavior from a coach um, to not listen to his player about the player's health. Um, and so I, I basically just went on a tirade, and he's like, okay, fine, you can play tomorrow. But I was so revved up, like, by, like, uh, coach not having my back that I had... I went on court with basically the intent of embarrassing my coach as much as possible. And uh, I, I succeeded. I, uh, it was this guy against Rochester. Um, I, after like the third point, I was literally trying to hit him with the ball on like pretty much every point. I sort of deserved a conduct match at some point, but like nobody ever calls that. And yeah, I lost in four games and behaved extremely poorly and, uh, yeah, brought shame onto <laughs> everyone on the Princeton squash team and everyone who had to, um, witness the match. Yeah. But anyway, uh, enough about ourselves. Let's talk about, um, Serena, the incident with her against Naomi Osaka um so to uh any listeners who might not have seen the match um serena was first given a code violation like a warning for um receiving coaching um it was basically she her coach was seen like making hand gestures to her after a point basically telling her to move to net and you're not allowed to receive coaching during a match and so 
Carlos Ramos gave her like a conduct warning. And uh, then she smashed her racket a little bit later in the match. Um, and uh, your second warning is a point. So uh, it's an automatic point. And so Carlos Ramos gave her a con conduct point. And then at the changeover, Serena was pissed because she refused to like acknowledge that she had received like coaching. And she was telling him like she was berating him in like six different ways, like in as rude a manner as you can possibly imagine. Um, like what she was saying was less bad. I don't think she used profanity, um, but the tone and her like body language was just it was it was uh the definition of taunting. Um, and he gave her a conduct game. I think she, I think he was in the right. Uh, it's definitely up for debate. Um, a lot of people claim sexism on it, but like, I don't know. I, I just, I just can't see the sexism because, um, I think if a ma male player behaved the same way he would have received, like, it's less about what was verbally said and more about, um, body language and tone um and also like racism um is another thing that is sometimes brought up especially when serena is involved because she's experienced quite a bit of it but uh her opponent was also like an african-american female like uh i mean that doesn't mean you can't be racist but at a certain point I think this is one of those incidences where she was just, like, behaving in a way that was, uh, like, unacceptable. What do you think, Peter? Hello? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, most of that, sorry, I was cut off for a little bit, but, um, yeah, what I will say about that match, my opinion is that they were both wrong. Like, I don't think you can claim that either one of them was right. Because I do think that, um, I think Serena was, I agree with a lot of, like, what you were saying about, like, the body language. And, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just she called him a thief. She was, like, going on and on and, like, yeah, it wasn't just one time. It was like, uh, it was like, was it was like taunting. Like my broke the camel's back rather than the like actual thing that it wasn't just like a one-off statement. Yeah. Um. Also, there like that same ref has like given Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray um, like conduct penalties. Um, in finals of major tournaments. Um, and one, one of the times it was Djokovic for calling him stupid. But, so I, I, I do think that, like, um, like, sexism is real, and it exists, and it's not like I'm trying to sweep it under the rug. But I don't think this was an example of that. Um, I think that it's kind of interesting that it happens to Serena because she does have such like a passionate following that she's like somebody who like um, like her fans have her back through thick and thin 
And so it's, it, she might be the only player where this might even be a debate because of just how passionate her following is and how much respect she's earned over her career. But, um, but I mean, that's, that's enough on Serena's side. The way I think that the ref was wrong is that um, this was neither the time or the place to, like, make a stand. This was the finals of a major. A conduct game has never been given before. Um, the, the match was, Serena was down a set, and she was probably going to lose, but it was on serve in the second set. Like, it could have been a real match. And the game was, um, like, uh, one of Serena's service games. So it was, like, they gave Osaka a break. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And it's not just that. It's also, um, it was, like, at the tipping point moments of the match. Either Osaka was going to win or Serena was going to force it to a, th- like, that was, like, really the business end of the, the match. And then the ref made the, the ref decided to make the match more about him than about the players. And it's, this wasn't just a normal U.S. Open Finals. It was like a changing of the guard moment, potentially, with the 36-year-old greatest ever um, against, like, the 20-year-old phenom. And this could have been a real, like, passing of the torch moment. Um, so it was just a bad moment all around. Um but yeah, enough about that. Yeah. Um, I think, though, that if you're a ref um, and you can't call a conduct anything in that situation, you're just hung out to dry. Because, like, uh, like, uh, there's, like, a, uh, basic level of respect that um that if you're not like uh treated with as like the refs i saw i saw earlier today that they make five hundred dollars for a day at a grand slam tournament they're basically like (laughs) um they're basically like that's not very good that's a terrible wage you know like, uh, they're, they're sort of, like, in a thankless role. And so if they just have no support whatsoever, um, like, uh, I, I just think it's, like, wrong. Um, yeah, but I, I guess where, where we differ is that, um, I guess we are sides of the debate as to whether Serena, I think you're right that for a normal match, Serena crossed that line of basic respect, but like she wasn't using profanity, she um, she was doing a really good job of like um, not totally crossing the line. Yeah. Um, and so But, I mean, she's a professional, too, though, right? Like, yeah. In her, in her press conference, she said she thought her coaching violation was rescinded, and so she only thought she, thought she only had one penalty and not two. Um, but 
So she, but it's a lot of it's on her to not even flirt with the that line. Yeah, and she flirted with it. Um, Honestly, so, so I think my my take on it though is like a little bit more um, hot than most people's. I think she knew she was going to lose and just couldn't handle it. Like, the same way you would, like, your worst demons came out against me. Um, like, you were expected to win those matches, and that's sort of why. Um, and so, and Serena, she wasn't just losing to anyone. She was losing to, like, Osaka plays for, like, with the Japanese flag, but she's basically an African-American woman. Uh, she's 20 years old and extraordinarily talented. Um... Serena was basically getting outplayed by a younger version of herself. And I just don't think she could handle it emotionally. And really just didn't want to lose, like, the, uh... The, the usual way of just getting beaten and, uh, shaking hands. Like, I think she was sort of searching for a third-party intervention. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was all logical like that. I don't think she was... I, I don't think it was, like... I think a lot of that was subconscious. I don't think she was, like... I don't think it was, like, a grand conspiracy. I think, I think though, that uh, she, she wouldn't... In the moment, she was just like, okay, I'm going to lose anyway. Uh, let's make it look a little bit less like I actually got outplayed. Let's or let's yeah. make the conversation a little bit less that I actually I got outplayed. Yeah, I think maybe it was just um, it's very rare that she she plays someone who she actually thinks might be better than her. Yeah. In that move, like maybe she thought like, damn, like Osaka is legitimately better than me, and had a had a bit of a moment, but. Yeah, that's actually what I think happened. Um, um, but I mean, any I any athlete that, any athlete has a meltdown moment. I mean, there are some that don't, but most athletes do. And uh, I mean, her behavior was inexcusable, and she deserved the conduct penalties and all of that. But that doesn't take away from the greatness of her career. Yeah. You, what, what do you think are some of the great meltdowns? I, I, I think I, if you don't say, like, there's one that I'm thinking of in particular that I think is, like, the all-time example of a meltdown. Zidane's headbutt. Yeah. Either. Oh, yeah. No, uh, I, wasn't gonna, I wasn't going with Zidane, but that's a pretty good one. Uh, the Ron Artest melee. Oh, yeah. That one. <laughs> Things just like... A lot Did of all. social conventions broke all at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was great entertainment, though. Alright, let's, uh, let's move to the men's side. Uh... From one great champion to another, uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, incredible performance. 
Is this as good as you've ever seen him play? Um, n- no. I mean, he played amazing, but in 2015, I think it was, he won three majors and got to the finals of the fourth. Yeah. Um, he, according to the Ultimate Goat website, he had the most dominant year of all time in 2015, and he had the second most dominant year of all time in, of, of all time in 2014. Like this guy is, um, is insane. But it, it it was just like disheartening, just the way he dispatched of Del Potro, because I was really dreading Del Potro for Rafa. But then it was just clear that the guy I was dreading for Rafa was just no match for Djokovic. Yeah, um, and Delpo like gave his best effort. I would actually um, argue that this was... I'm not saying this was the best Joker has ever played, but I think it's as good as any time I've ever ever watched them. Like, uh... He was just moving perfectly. He was placing the balls, like... His rally balls were just so, so perfectly placed near the baseline. Like, if he wanted to put it, like... At, uh, Djokovic's backhand corner, he'd place it within like two feet of both lines, like that kind of thing. Um, he was never um, really uncomfortable, and Delpo has a forehand that makes everyone uncomfortable. Like, there yeah, were time, that- times in the match where Delpo just crushed forehands that anybody else, like, would have just, like, been scrambling to return, but Joker just sort of soaked them up. Um, and yeah, it, he he just was unbeatable. Yeah, like, I couldn't tell if it was his movement or his, like, rally ball that was more impressive. Um, I think, like, your, what you said about the, uh, like, Delpo crushing forehands and Djokovic just soaking him up. And he, he was just, like, it didn't even, it made it seem like Delpo wasn't even hitting the ball that hard. Like, Djokovic was just there. Um, it felt, yeah, it felt like Delpo's forehand, like, it just seemed like it didn't have the bite again. Um, and I, th- I, I think, like, so there were two things. There was the rally ball, which, like you said, it wasn't just the depth, though. It was, like, it was hit in a way that made it an awkward shot for Delpo, like, at least 80% of the time. Whether it was, like, the variety of spin, like, he'd loop it, and then he'd slice it, and then he would just, like, position it so that it was just in the awkward pocket. Um, But also, there was just his movement. Like, his footwork was just insane. He was always prepared to hit the ball. Um, And... That, that sort of dovetails with his anticipation ability. And, yeah, he was just a wall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there were some rallies where uh, they were just hitting it back and forth. They were just playing a game of basically, like, chicken to see whose shots were more, like, um, who would frame a shot first. And Joker always came out on top in those rallies. Uh, yeah, just his contact. Yeah, he hits the ball so sweet. Yeah, nobody hits it. Nobody hits a cleaner ball. Uh, 
nobody is less likely to frame like a forehand or backhand and uh, he's just faster and places it better um, yeah so this goes into uh, the next discussion which is um, how many do you think he's gonna win yeah um, hard to say because he's at an age where you it's unpredictable like how long he can stay like this but man, if he stays healthy, he is the favorite in every single match he plays by a lot. And yeah. you looked at, um, like this year's U.S. Open, um, his final three opponents. But he was pushed hardest in the opening, in like the opening few rounds. And so I think way he's vulnerable still a little bit, is he's not quite just the surgeon in the opening rounds that in his, like, peak peak. Yeah. Um, but I think he'll win three out of four majors next year. Which would put him even with Rafa, unless Rafa wins Roland Garros. Yeah. Um, you think he catches Fed? Uh, I hope so. I hope that if he passes Rafa, that he passes Fed also. Because Rafa's my favorite player, so I want Rafa to have more, like, credentials than Djokovic. But Djokovic is, like, really the best player ever, in my opinion. Yeah. He's just, he's just actually the best. And so, I think, um, just more would be right with the world if he were the one to end up with the record. Um, he has the highest ELO rating of competition um, in the history of the game. He's played 98 total matches against Federer and Nadal and has a winning record against both. So like 10% of his matches in his life have been against the other two greatest ever. Um, he... And... Like, his head-to-heads with Federer and Nadal are, like, close-ish, but they're not as close as they seem because it's, like, a lot of the, like, Federer and Nadal really padded their their head-to-heads against Djokovic when Djokovic wasn't, wasn't quite there yet. Also, it's, like, you sort of extrapolate into the future, and so it's 27-25 against Nadal, but they're probably going to play each other 10 more times, and Djokovic might win eight, and so... You just sort of know that by the end, Djokovic is going to be, like, clear-cut ahead of Nadal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be close, whether he catches Fed or not. I think Fed is done winning majors. He's just old now. Um, Joker is at 14. He needs six more to tie, seven to beat. And yeah, Joker is like uh, 31 now. Um, so he's sort of, he's not showing age, but I mean, to win six more, he's going to have to continue this level for uh, two more years, maybe. Um, and then once he peters out, maybe win one or two more. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I, think I think he can though, because like yeah, I think he gets to twenty one or twenty two. He sleeps in a hyperbaric. He's one of those people who like really treats his body. He's like a very healthy person. Yeah. He's he does he stretches. He's. But but um, that that also brings up a point. Like the older you get, the more injuries like occur, especially the devastating variety, and. Uh, one reason, okay, so if Joker is healthy, he's going to break the record, but, like, one factor in betting, like, no matter how well he, like, takes care of his body, it's just one awkward movement between him and, like, uh, another operation, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, what are the biggest roadblocks to him beating the record? So, the first is himself. Um, the second is, uh, like, just a, a, like, new superstar. Like, somebody who, who, who just takes it to another level, which, honestly, I doubt will happen. Um, yeah. But, like, maybe Zverev really starts to click. Like, something like that. Um... And then, so I guess those are the two factors. And then, yeah, it's like, can he do this for three more years? Yeah, and then, like, uh, outside factors, like, you know, there are, like, marital crisis. But I just don't think that's going to happen. I think he's sort of... uh, yeah, who knows, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Because, um, like, think about this. Like, after the Aussie Open, if he wins, it'll be 15. Okay? Yeah. So then he'll have 15. And then it'll only be five. I think Nadal, that'll seem way more doable. Nadal is screwed. Federer is, like, uh, still in play. But uh, I think, yeah, it really has – It's. I think by far the biggest factor is Djokovic's health. Yeah. Yeah, um, what about the other people in the U.S. Open? So, Del Potro, um, what's your takeaway with him? Um, I guess with Del Potro, it was a good result. Um, it was sort of a telling, it was telling about just where he really fits with this generation because um, it, it showed that, like, I guess Nadal wasn't his full self when he played Del Potro. So I don't know. There isn't really much to take away about Del Potro. It's like he like is who we thought he was. a negative one because it's like I think the, the, the thing with him was, like, on a good day he can beat anyone. But he was not beating Djokovic even on a good day. Yeah. And so even my takeaway from Del Potro has something to do with Djokovic. Yeah. Um, Like on a good day, Del Potro can beat anyone. But if uh, Djokovic or Nadal or Federer also is having a good day, Del Potro is probably going to lose. Or, yeah. I think for Nadal having a good day at the same time. I think it depends on the surface, and I think Del Potro has a much better shot. 
Yeah. Um, but still, yeah, he, he's still like a like quarter level below those guys, even at peak. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then Nadal, uh, I heard that he had a cartilage issue in his knee and that he's out for a month. So is he not playing Davis Cup? Um, I doubt he is. Um, yeah, I think he's out yeah, for Davis Cup. Got yeah, it. he's out. Nadal just needs to put all his eggs in the Australian Open basket. Because that's the tournament that's really just eluded him the most, and he's had the, he's suffered the most heartbreak there. Yeah, I sort of hope um, he takes off the rest of the season. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Also, cartilage. It's uh. So they sort of people will uh sort of brush it off as a one month injury, but uh, I've just followed too many athletes who had like a cartilage issue that just lingered. Um, you'll get this quick arthroscopic surgery, uh, cartilage will be removed, and then, oh shit, uh, the issue is still there. There's still, like, a, uh, uh, a slight pain there, and they go through, like, two or three more operations, and then they discover something new. And so, like, when I hear, like, cartilage will be out for a month, I'm just like, uh, like, God willing, like, uh, let's hope that's, like, actually what it is. Yeah. I actually think that it probably is what it is, just because of the match before. I th- Nadal has probably reached the age where he's only only capable of one epic match as a tournament. Yeah. And he, like, had his epic match against team, and just his body just wasn't couldn't do it anymore. Um, but I guess he had two at Wimbledon, right? Yeah. And it's actually important to bring up that if Nadal was, like, converting a few points away from... Like, he he lost, like, in extra games in the fifth set. Like, he could have won that match and we could have been talking about Djokovic winning his first Grand Slam in years rather than two in a row. Um, yeah. So Nadal's not like totally Nadal out of it. Nadal had a very tough draw. Like he had Kashinov in the third round who's very tough. Yeah. Then he had, um, but he also wasn't chopping people the way he, he, he needed to, to. Like he wasn't at his top level, I don't think. Yeah. His top Nadal would have like chopped Basilishvili in three. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think what we got was a Nadal who was running on fumes a little bit and crashed out. Yeah. But as for another, for him as well, health is everything. Um, and so, yeah, I think he definitely knows it. But let's just hope he takes care of his body, or let's just—he's going to take care of his body. Let's just hope his body holds up. Um, yeah, is there any? Are there any others that you want to um, talk about? Let's see. Um, I mean, I guess team. Yeah. Team played the match of his life. I think even though he lost, it may have been a breakthrough match for him. 
Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he he uh, rebounds. Because one of the things about him is he's just so inconsistent. Yeah. And no one's surprised that he has that kind of level in him. But he might just go the next three tournaments in a row and lose in the first round. Yeah, um, that was an absolutely incredible, like, tennis match between Nadal and T. That was the best match of the tournament by far. Um, yeah. And so, that's the, so, and I think that the bigger point is, like, Nadal was involved, too. And Nadal yeah. was involved in the two best matches at Wimbledon as well. Yeah. And so I think the way, it, like, the way this the way this generation is going to break down is, like, Djokovic is the best, Federer is the most elegant and might have the most cluttered trophy case, but Nadal is the most epic. Yeah, he was the one in the most great matches. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... Uh, let's see, any others? There's Nishikori had a had an awesome um, event. Um, yeah. But he was just outplayed by Djokovic. Um, he, he got revenge on Chilich. Yeah, he got his revenge. Um, <laughs> I think one other one is Isner. It's just tough to beat for anyone. Um, like, yeah. he got a set off of uh, Del Potro, and yeah, um, you just never want to see him on your in your bracket when you're in a Grand Slam. Um, yeah, and then for young guys, uh, Sverev is a bitch. Um, actually, I think Alex de Menor, uh sort of uh, had a really, really good showing. He took Chilich to five, right? Yeah, he lost seven five in the fifth to Chilich. Yeah, and my friend who saw him, my friend Zach, uh, says the guy is like scary talented. Like, all he needs is to get stronger. Um, I've seen him play a few times. He's, like, very, very quick. And, uh... He's aggressive. He, he's focused, too. He's like, clearly wants it. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I heard my friend say that and saw his results, I just, like, immediately believed it. Um, since it passed, seemed like he was sort of burned out from the summer. Um... Yeah, it's hard to read too much into Sitsipas's result. Fritz actually had a pretty good tournament. I think he got a set off of team. Um, yeah. I don't think yeah, Tiafo is, is like a future top five player. He just, he, he, he really wants it and he's like a really good fighter. But he just doesn't have that like next level in him or at least I haven't seen it. Yeah, I think that um, he might be just because he's like he seems like he maybe he won't be in like two years, but maybe in five years. Yeah. Because he seems like a very hard worker. Yeah. And I think like he does have enough like tools um, to where if he maximizes, he could be like really good for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Shapovalov had a epic match against Anderson, but came up short. Um, yeah, we were there live. It yeah. was like clear in the fifth set that Anderson was the more solid player. Yeah, and so, but the, um, it was also clear that the U.S. Open crowd loves like Shapovalov. Um, yeah. He's he's fun to watch, especially live. He shows a lot of emotion. 
Um, yeah, and he um, he also he just goes for it. Like there was a match, his second round match, um, he had <laughs> seventy six unforced errors and one. Oh wow! And uh, he, uh, uh, but yeah, then a sad story was the Felix Hart issue thing. Yeah. That's, That's a really sad serious. story for, like, the future of tennis because this guy is, like, the most hyped prospect in a decade. Um, yeah. Felix Auger-Aliassim, and he had to pull out in the first round with an irregular heartbeat. It doesn't sound like the type of um, issue that goes away. Like, this is going to be something that um, he deals with his entire career. And so, he said he dealt with it before, so... Yeah. So, like, the potential next, like, Rafa, Roger, Novak-level player um, has, like, this uh, sort of debilitating physical condition. Um, and so we might still be searching for the next guy now. Yeah, I think it still might be Zverev, you know, but he's just such a bitch. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think that wraps it up. Um, to our listeners, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Um, we we uh, enjoy doing the podcast, so uh, I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we do. Um, there is a lot of time now between uh, until the next Grand Slam. Next Grand Slam is in January. So you can sort of uh, get on with the rest of your lives. Um, we'll probably do one or two more podcasts um, over the course of the year. We'll keep track of how many singles matches Jack Sock wins. Um, at the moment, he's at six. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>